each property is unique. You could have two properties side by side. Um, you see this in Orlando, for example, two properties side by side, and then the inside of one has been, you know, kitted out with game rooms and just custom decorations, and they spent $100,000 in the interior. The next one may just look like your standard three-bedroom, you know, home, and that's fine. I think there's actually a market for both, to be honest with you. The one that invests more and stands out is obviously going to do better, I think, over the long term, but there's still a market for the other person, too. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In every marketplace, there are the Davids and the Goliaths. While it's hard to fathom now, Amazon was a David when Borders and Barnes & Noble were the bookstore Goliaths. And don't forget that Apple was a David when Xerox, IBM, and Motorola were consumer technology Goliaths. Today, I want to introduce you to the David of short-term rental platforms, a company called Wander. Whether you're embarking on a family vacation, planning a getaway with friends, yearning for a workcation, or organizing a company offsite, there is a Wander for every occasion. Wonders aren't vacation homes, they're better. Inspiring views, modern workstations, restful beds, hotel-grade cleaning, and 24-7 concierge service are just a few of the guarantees that come when you stay with Wander. Wander is in search of high-end vacation homes in incredible locations around the US. Think national parks, beaches, mountains, you know the type with proven annual revenue. If you are a short-term rental owner looking to sell your property to someone who will appreciate what you've built, send the Wander team an email with all the important deets like monthly rev, monthly expenses, yada, yada, to hello at wander.com. Again, that's hello at wander, W-A-N-D-E-R.com. If Wander makes an offer, you can count on it being all cash, quick and hassle-free. So if you've been thinking of selling, even remotely, why not start a conversation with our friends at Wander? Send them an email at hello at wander.com. In just a moment, you'll meet Conrad O'Connell, founder and CEO at BuildUp Bookings, a digital marketing agency that helps SDR hosts increase direct bookings and build their brands. Conrad was working at a marketing agency after college. This agency onboarded a new client in the boutique hotel space, and Conrad was assigned to assist on the account. Pretty instantly, Conrad fell in love with the hospitality space. So much so, in fact, that he wound up leaving that agency to start a firm of his own. Tune in to hear Conrad share new ideas for how to market short-term rentals, give an overview of the most common marketing mistakes that short-term rental hosts make, and discuss how to know if and when it might be time to move off of Airbnb. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Conrad. All right, Conrad, so you are at a cocktail party and someone comes up to you and, you know, the expectation is that you, you got to schmooze with people, right? You got you to talk at cocktail parties, get to know folks. But at the same time, at cocktail parties, right, like you don't necessarily want someone's entire life story, right? Uh, you want to you want to move move around the room. So if someone comes up to you at a cocktail party and asks who you are and, and, and what you do, how do you respond? Uh, I suppose it depends if I want to talk to them or not. As an introvert, I generally just don't want to talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> no, I joke. But uh, no, my reaction would be, uh, typically what I'd say is I own a marketing agency. Um, we work with vacation rental hosts and managers. I think that's the short and sweet version of it that I might say. Yeah, that's, that's packaged real neatly. And then from there, they can say, oh, well, you know, what is a short-term rental? And then you know who you're talking to. Or, oh, cool. Like, you know, are you on Airbnb? Do you work with thugs on Airbnb? Verbo? Like, you know, who, who you know, direct bookings? Um, cool. So, uh, if someone were to have asked you as a 10 year old, like what you wanted to be when you grew up, would you have said like, I want to work in marketing. I want to own my own agency. Like how would you have responded? No, no. When I was 10, I just wanted to be Tiger Woods. That was like my whole <laughs> life plan. Yeah. So when I was 10, it would have been two things that that would have been number one by far, right? Want to be, uh, want to play professional golf, want to play in the PGA tour. Hmm. That would have been number one. And then number two would have been, I don't know, maybe like, uh, maybe doing something that was just, I, at the time I thought like out, working outside was awesome or like working on a golf course or something like that. Like if I can't, if I can't make that, then that's the next best thing. So yeah, yeah 10 year old me would have been, would have not really cared about 
owning a marketing agency or not really cared about uh, short-term rentals or vacation rentals or anything like that. Yeah. He would have been like, what is that? He wouldn't have cared. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's interesting because I, I don't know many young kids that like aspire to be like professional golfers, right? Like it's usually like, yo, I want to get into the NBA, I want to get into the NFL, right? Like whatever. But like, so so were you, where did your love for golf like where was that first sparked was your was your dad or your someone in your family really into golf yeah my dad got me into it um well it's a podcast people can't see me but if they saw me they would know i have no chance in the nba or nfl or anything like that so it just seemed it just seemed more attainable maybe um you know in terms of uh you know being a being a uh, the type of person that i am um i don't know i think it's 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 a fun game because anyone can play it right like Hmm. many people play golf but it's pretty much impossible to master which i think is actually like life <laughs> like anyone can play it or anyone could like like to this podcast anyone can run a short-term rental but if you want to be like the best at it it's very very difficult like there's very few people that are actually that top one percent five percent of people who can accomplish it so the barrier to entry is actually really low but getting to be the best at it or great at it is very difficult and even like i, I find it's exponentially harder so like let's say you might have to practice for like i don't know six months a year to break 100 then you might need another year to break 90 or another but then like it gets difficult once you get into like low 80s high 70s you see people stuck there and plateau and i think that's again kind of like where we often get to in a lot of areas in our life um so i think that's what's appealing to the game you know for me personally like that's well 10 year old me would have said that at least yeah, yeah. um my dad was into it my dad's not really great though we just i was like kind of a family thing we just did it together but i just uh i will get obsessive about things and that was definitely the obsessive thing at that time obviously i'm obsessed with different things now but um, that was kind of the, the journey that I went on. And when you're obsessed about something that's easy to master, it's not so much so fun, I think. Hmm. Um, like, I think video games kind of burn you out quickly because maybe you could like, now there's like professional gaming, but when I was a kid, that wasn't really a thing. So you can kind of beat the game and it's not really that difficult usually if you get decent at it. But like, you couldn't beat the game of golf, right? For example, you had to like, you know, you could get closer and then even when you broke par, it's like, well, yeah, but you know, you could go lower than that. You could shoot 65, you could yeah. shoot 64, et cetera. So that's, I think what's kind of fun about that. That is a that is a fantastic metaphor. I I like that a lot actually, and, and you know it makes a lot of sense. I was also thinking about like I don't know if you I don't know if you how closely if at all you follow Simon Sinek and his kind of teachings, but um one of the he he his book um oh gosh of course the name of his book is gonna escape me right now but um his most recent book is oh the infinite game that's what it's called okay it's the infinite game and he talks a lot about like how it's so difficult when it comes to life and and building businesses and what it might be to define like whether you've won or lost, like we come up with these, like, you know, we, we essentially create these deadlines that like by 1231 of 2022, I want to be at, you know, I want to revenue. I want to be here. I want my profit margin to be there. And it's like, you know, but then on January 1st, right? Like if you meet your goal January 1st, it feels like you failed. If you meet your goal, you know, December 31st, it feels like you, you won. And yet we've, you know, how, how do you, so much of life is, is impossible to sort of really understand like whether or not you've, you've won or lost. We've come up with these like arbitrary points of measurement. Anyways, his, his larger point is that, um, you know, the people that win in life are, are the ones that have like the, inf- the infinite mindset, right? Like it, it's about continual improvement, improvement over time, not sort of like reaching a particular goal at a particular date at a particular time. Cause then once you reach that goal, then the, the next day you've got to set a new goal, right? Or, or, or a new target. Um, anyways, I, I, I like that framework. So talk to me a little bit about build up bookings like where where did this idea come from had you worked in marketing before starting your own agency or, or like what what is your like professional sort of story to date mm-hmm. yeah so i went to college for marketing um it's kind of funny because i have this marketing degree and i don't i guess i would say i don't think i've used it but I, that's probably just me being a little bit cynical i'm sure i have used it in points and spots here and there but certainly when i graduated in 2013 there was nothing like digital about our like course curriculum or anything like that. There yeah. was like, there was this thing called the internet. I think there was like an MBA program that you could like take as a undergrad that was like about social media, but it was just like people tweeting like nonsense. So <laughs> it didn't really seem to make much sense. Um, so it's kind of funny, right? I entered the world and I had this marketing degree and I guess it's just seemed interesting to me. That was my logic. I didn't know. I don't know if I have like some story there other than just it seemed interesting better than other business majors that were at the, you know, the options like, Oh God, accounting, like people that do yeah, that. Jeez. Yeah. Bl- yeah. Bless them. I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> that drives me crazy. I don't even like looking at my own credit card statements today, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, so once once I got into marketing, I'm like, well, I need a marketing job. There's not really an abundance of them here where I was when I graduated uh, from Coastal Carolina. So Conway, South Carolina, I live in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And so I found this agency 
And my only criteria for trying to work at this agency was that they actually responded to my email. I kept emailing them and asking them like, hey, I want to interview. I don't get any jobs right now. Um, and then when I walked in, it was actually in this cool old cigarette factory. Huh. And there was like billboards on the wall, like original billboards from like the 1920s or 30s or something like that. And there was like nice uh, IMAX, like all the way through the thing. So the office was cool. Hmm. Um, and that was my only criteria. I'm like, this just seems like a fun place to be. And I, I like the aesthetic. That was like my primary decision-making factor. So I just was like, yeah, I would work for like peanuts. Like I don't really care. I mean, I need some money to like pay my bills and things like that. But um, you know, when you're like 21, you don't really have any expenses. So you'll just kind of do whatever. And I was like, I just want to learn this. Like, I think yeah. I can figure it out. So uh, I worked at this agency uh, for a little while. And my, I would say my real story, my background of how I like even convince them to like let let me kind of have the call is my now my father-in-law at the time it was just my girlfriend's dad um owned a fishing charger business Hmm. and he was like trying to get started doing fishing chargers and he's like yeah but i need customers you know to come in so we tried to figure out how to get him customers and he's like aren't you going to school for marketing you know he's he's not like the most uh digital savvy guy he's like you figure it out basically so i'm like i'll try to figure it out i have no idea how we started running google ads for like 19 cents cost per click of course there was like no competition back in like 2012 (laughs) 2013 on those keywords um and we just filled up his boat like it was the easiest thing like we set up google ads we set up a basic page of course now i'm embarrassed by the landing page but back then i thought it was decent and he just his phone starts ringing off the hook so that was like the moment for me that connected this idea of like you can do something online and then like you can write words or you can set up a campaign and then all of a sudden like there's an actual real business impact so that was my first taste of it. Um, then I went to this agency and told them that story of like, hey, look at this website. And of course, they were like, this is terrible. At the time, I didn't think that. But, you know, the uh, the boss there thought that. And he's like, well, it's okay. We'll teach you. Like, I can see you're, you're going to figure things out. You just need a better direction. So worked there for a while. We had a bunch of different clients. There was no specific focus. Um, basically, I think my boss at that time would have taken anybody. You know, if they had money that, to give him, they would have taken it. But we had this one uh, client that was a hotel chain. Hmm. And they had about uh, 12 different hotels, luxury, all boutique hotels, not under a flag, not like Hilton or Marriott or anything like that. Just all individual uh, brands that were almost more like regional to that particular the history of the property, things like that. And I just fell in love with it. I'm like, this is awesome. I enjoy marketing this, promoting this. I love running the ads. I love coming up with the ideas of how to get people to stay in these cool hotels. And it wasn't an experience to stay in these hotels. It wasn't just like a, you know, 90 bucks a night type sure, you know, sure. thing. There was, there was you know, not that they were luxury, but there was like an element to it that was really exciting. So that's kind of how I first got into it. Worked with them for a while, and then I actually did eventually join an agency that was like specific to vacation rentals. Worked there for a while, and then just, the, the uh, math became very clear to me that like, hmm, if I do this on my own, maybe I'll uh, figure out a way to make a little bit more, uh, you know, doing it. And I think that uh, I actually posted this the other day on uh, LinkedIn, for example. I don't think that people are like born, or at least my opinion is people aren't born with like entrepreneurship or like, oh, I should do this. This is the path for me to take. Maybe that, so maybe some people feel that way, but I don't think that's actually true. Yeah. Maybe it was just like put in their head when they were young and they just thought it would be fun growing up. But I never really thought that like, oh, I want to do my own thing one day. I just figured it out. It took me a while maybe to figure it out several years. But once I figured out like, oh, this is a better way of doing it, I can kind of have more control, I can make more money, things like that. Um, I just decided, well, let's try it and see what happens. And that's kind of was my whole philosophy and been my whole philosophy the whole time. So that was 2016 and then have been doing it ever since basically. Wow. Wow. So, Okay. You learn a little bit more about marketing, working at an actual agency. Then you go, you work at a agency that specializes in vacation rentals. Still, sort of like making that leap, like that's that's no small decision. Like what what was, and you, you sort of glossed over it a little bit, but like you realized, oh hey, maybe I can make a little bit more money if I do this on my own. But did you did you go out thinking, hey, I'm going to do something like this, but a little bit different? Like how, how did you think about what unique value you would bring? Or was it like, hey, I'm not even really worried about unique value. I just think that there's a lot of opportunity in this space. And if I essentially just kind of clone services offerings that my current agency offers and do it on my own, like there's you know enough fish in the sea, so to speak. I think it was more of that, to be honest with you. I mean, there was there were some fundamental differences. Like they were heavy into web development. I still to this day am like hesitant about really diving full on into web development because um, I think it's actually a very challenging thing to make money doing building websites and things like that. There's a path, but it's it's very narrow to to actually make that profitable. So for me, it was just like focusing only on marketing instead of marketing being an afterthought. I think yeah. that's kind of what occurred that made me think. Well, yeah, we do offer marketing services, but it's like we kind of like 
you know, even in the office, we like sat in the bad part of the office and like, you know, <laughs> like uh, everyone in the marketing team was paid less. Like it was kind of seen as like this not important thing. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, no, this is like the important thing. Like the only way that actually some of these companies are going to really grow and, you know, get more bookings, right? Like yeah. that's the whole name and all that kind of stuff um, is through awareness, through like visibility. And the only way to get that is like make marketing front and center. And um, the more I've like, the more I've thought about it since then, I didn't have that thought at the time in that exact way, but that's kind of how I've come to realize that that was my perspective at, at that time, which is that if you want to be good at something, decent at something, whatever, if you want to shoot in the 60s, in the 70s, um, you have to focus on one thing. You can't be like super distracted and do 12, 15 different things at the same time. And I, I will even fall off that sometimes. I have to like reel myself back in and say like, all right, now this is the thing that you're focused on. As you said, the fish in the sea has gotten a lot bigger over the last two years, but the fish in sea was big back in 2016, 2017, 2018, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's just gotten maybe bigger over the last little bit. And there's still plenty of uh, opportunity there, in my opinion, to keep going down that path. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to talk about timeline here for a second, too, because, you know, in 2016, obviously, vacation rentals were were a thing, right? But and short term rentals, you know, Airbnb had been around and whatnot. But I feel like, what is that in, over the past five, six years here now, right? Like, there's been a massive ma I mean, this industry has just seen tremendous growth, um, even just in terms of kind of traveler expectations and travelers like willingness to trade hotels for short-term rental experiences you also just see you know airbnb hosts vrbo hosts short-term rental hosts in general like thinking about their properties as like in incredible the, the way in which they're designing them right they're designing these sort of like insta-worthy stays that are like coupled with all these incredible unique experiences and i'm sure that there were some people doing that back in 2016 but i have to imagine they're they, you know, it, it was few and far between compared to, you know, now it feels like everyone that wants to take this bit, wants to take their STR business seriously is at least considering these things. Um, so how do you, how do you see sort of like what the past four or five kind of, you know, six years have looked like with respect to, to growth in this industry? What are just some sort of like, you know, off the cuff observations that you've had and how far, you know, we've come in just a few short years here? I think a lot of what, a lot of my experience has been on the property manager side, and I think if you're a property manager, it's more about a scale for the most part, right? It's more yeah. about how can I deliver you know a good experience to managing a hundred homes, two hundred yep. homes, three hundred homes. So I think with that, there was people who enjoyed that experience, or that like brought a lot of people into the into the fold, maybe who wanted to explore it and check it out for the first time. But you know, I'll be honest, and some of my property management clients would say this too, they do want consistency. Yep. They don't want there to be a lot of variability in how the properties necessarily even are in terms of other than like location, it's clean. There's like some basic, you know, things that need, be, need to be in place. I think what you've seen over the past little bit is creativity. People have come in and they're more creative. They're like, well, I don't want to offer the same thing as everybody else. I don't want to just offer a nice clean beach home or yeah. cabin or lake home. I want to do something that's like off the wall and catches people att people's attention. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. That's my takeaway, um, which is that when you get one person in a room or two people, you know, whatever, two people working on a property, they're going to, their like investment that they're going to make into the, like you said, the experience, the aesthetics, the design, everything about the property is different than someone who's trying to figure out how to take 200 owners. And that's what these property managers do, by the way, is like you have to get, and I say two, let's say they have 200 homes. They don't really have 200 owners, by the way. They have 400 most of the time. It's like, yeah. you know, let's, most commonly husband, wife, obviously different arrangements exist, but that's most common. And, um, you know, so you're dealing with 400 voices trying to like <laughs> tell you like what you're doing day to day and like, hey, I want my property booked and things like that. So I think people on Twitter love to kind of trash talk the property manager. Oh, I would never give them 20%. It hurts my heart a little bit because I feel like they don't really understand what that property manager is trying to do and like what they actually have to endure and accomplish mm -hmm. to like figure out how to scale and get, you know, hundreds of homes like cleaned every single Saturday. Like, you know, it's it's hard to do that. So when the, when the single host goes out there and does something creative, I'm all for it. Like I support them 100% in that journey and that mission. And I think that's what you're describing where a lot of that is come from mostly more from that type of company um be, or that type of individual i should yeah, say that type yeah. of host as opposed to a company that has hundreds of units but um i think there's room for everybody because those types of experiences or those types of properties i think will do well but they do typically come at a higher price point so it may just not be attainable for everybody who's looking to go to blue ridge they just may want a nice clean standard cabin that's has nice views and nice amenities and is ready for them to stay and that's still there's demand for that there's demand for the awesome stuff at a higher price point so i think that's what's unique about it is that each property is unique. You could have two properties side by side 
Um, you see this in Orlando, for example, two properties side by side, and then the inside of one has been, you know, kitted out with game rooms and just custom decorations, and they spend $100,000 in the interior. The next one may just look like your standard three-bedroom, you know, home. Yeah. And that's fine. I think there's actually a market for both, to be honest with you. The one that invests more and stands out is obviously going to do better, I think, over the long term, but there's still a market for the other person, too. So the variability, I think, is both a blessing and a curse, I get to, I guess, to get back to your main point. The variability can lead to awesome, really cool things that you would have not planned or thought about, and the variability can lead to a host that's kind of doesn't really know what they're doing puts half-hearted effort into it and gets pretty subpar results too yeah (laughs) yeah yeah what can you talk to us a little bit about sort of like your a couple of your customer personas so who today like who who are who are build-up bookings like customers yeah a lot of our clients like i said A lot of our clients are the property managers. Um, so people do come to us typically when they need marketing help. They're trying yeah. to get more direct bookings. That's kind of usually the path. So again, some of the people that I follow, like on social media, I think we got connected on Twitter. Um, they're not really that persona for the most part. You have some yep. exceptions, but they, they have like two properties or three properties. Yep. And that's fine. Um, that's awesome. We have a different kind of like thing that we've, we've been working on that makes more sense for that person. But for a buildup, like most of our clients are property managers. What I like to say is they have enough uh, like revenue coming in where they can invest into marketing, but yeah. they usually don't have a full-time dedicated marketing person. I think that's like an interesting dividing line that I've seen in the industry amongst property managers where they have, um, let's say, a team of people, and the first person they hire is not going to be marketing, right? The first person they hire is going to be like, I don't want to have to respond to all these yeah. freaky messages. So like, <laughs> I'm going to hire a reservationist first. I'm going to hire a maintenance person first. I'm going to hire a housekeeping or like a quality control person third. Like Those are my people I'm going to hire first. And then they go, all right, we're doing well. We're scaling. We're growing. But we're too reliant on Airbnb or we just need more you know, we need to figure out a way to get more bookings. We have, um, you know, people coming into our site, but no one's converting. And that's usually when I, I find I connect with these types of people is usually in that stage. And then we had to figure out, all right, you have, you know, a budget. How do we take that budget and be effective and actually build like awareness for your company? Because like one thing too, that I see a lot on of the like new era of these people coming in today is they kind of associate Airbnb with short-term rentals and vice versa. Or they're like, oh, I have an Airbnb. Like I see this all the time. And again, other things that just like makes my eye twitch a little bit because Airbnb Airbnb is just a platform, a great platform. I I actually feel, I I think it's an awesome platform and I think it'll be around forever. But the analogy that I often like to do with Airbnb is I compare it, I guess, in a way kind of to like the eBay, Amazon change or shift that kind of occurred, right? eBay was kind of the original like online e-commerce that's more like Verbo, right? Where it's like owner to owner, you know, person to person buying a whatever used laptop on eBay. That's kind of how it is. And then Amazon kind of made it more centralized, even though there's individual sellers, you all buy from Amazon and then it's, it's a different experience. But I don't think that like eBay would have thought, oh, Amazon is going to like take us out. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, eBay is still out there, obviously, but it's not nearly as successful as Amazon. If you look at the revenue numbers, I think that's where Airbnb and like Verbo kind of are today for the most part. But I don't think that Airbnb is guaranteed success forever. And I think that they're going to, if you're a vacation rental manager, or if you own a property and you're in this for the long term, you should use Airbnb, you should love Airbnb, but I don't think you should be completely solely reliant and dependent on it. I think that's a very dangerous position to be in. Yeah, yeah. Just like if you're selling laptops, I don't think you should only sell them on Amazon. I think that's also a bad idea. So that's yeah. kind of like where people come to us. They they want to figure out how can I not just be a one trick pony. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. It's funny. A lot of the a lot of the folks that we've had on this podcast are uh, short term rental house who, pro- I mean, honestly have like one to five properties. More often than not, even just like one to three, and they're doing these you know one to three really, really, really freaking well. Um, and they've got, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40,000 followers for their place on like Instagram, right? Not and, and whatnot. And so what's funny is when we, when I talk with them like online and sometimes on the show too, folks are saying like, Hey, like I'm really trying to get off Airbnb. Like I, I needed Airbnb to get going, right? Like, and it brought me, you know, my first guests and whatnot, but now I have all these repeat guests, right? Where I've amassed my own audience and I want to get off this platform. So like to, to your point too. It does seem like there comes a time, uh, and not and not to say that you know this is this is the majority by any means, but I'm hearing more and more folks talk to to me again, even just on this show about yeah, I'm I'm really like I'm almost at a point now where I think I can I can leave Airbnb and and I'd be okay. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens, right? Um, Maybe it's a great place to start, uh, but once you've built up enough of uh, following, enough of uh, your own portfolio, maybe there's maybe there's an opportunity to kind of spin up your own thing. So I, I wanted to talk to you about 
you're literally, I think, the first person we've had on this show that uh, work that owns and, and, and runs a short-term rental marketing agency. And um, I wanted to just use this opportunity to talk about marketing and talk a little bit about sort of like what are what are some for, to get us going here. Like, what are some of the more, the more like underthought about aspects of STR marketing that that you have seen? Like, where what are some of just like the basics that people are just to this day still sort of like missing? And then you know we'll we'll go from there. All right, so I have two, and then one is going to sound simple, and people are going to just brush it aside, but I don't think they should, which is uh, most people do a horrible job of actually collecting the information of their guest. Mm. Like an email address is kind of useful for marketing, so <laughs> kind of an old school thing. We have these things, emails, that kind of tie together a lot of our online identity when you think about it. Um, but you know, when you book on Airbnb, let's say you're getting a lot of guests from Airbnb, guess what Airbnb doesn't like to give you at all? An actual email address. So if you can get that email address, either through like a Wi-Fi gating, like StayFi is the one we typically recommend, or some people do like rental agreements, however you get it, if you get that email address with consent, obviously, um, from that person, then that's a huge marketing asset. And I think getting an email address is valuable, whether you have one property or two or 10 or a thousand, like I've seen it every range of the spectrum, getting an email and marketing to that person to get them to either A, come back or B, recommend you to other people is low cost like low time investment and high impact so like until i see everyone like like i've and i book on airbnb myself too like um we stayed in a place in charlotte a few months back and the host made no effort to like you know get my email made no effort to like you know talk about x y and z made no effort to get a review like there was just a lot of like mediocre the property was fine and i left a good review and it was okay but i'm like man like how many people come and stay in this property or this person managed like a dozen or something like that in charlotte how many people you know come through here that would come back again i'm sure we will go back to charlotte again many times over the next few years my wife and i like going up there for things so what a missed opportunity yeah. and he just you know or she you know just didn't spend any effort on it so on, on that on one. that note too yeah. real fast yeah. just just to put throw in another data point so i i think i told you this but my wife and i lived on airbnb full-time for like 15 months last year and in every plate we stayed in like a total of something like 63 different places during that period of time and only one place only one place asked for an email address to use their Wi-Fi, and that was the only ask for an email address that we ever had during all during that entire fifteen months. So, anyways, just to just to drive your point to you know home even further, like talk about missed opportunities, right? Yeah, and I mean, like again, a lot of things that we end up talking about or doing down the road get expensive. Like once you're at two hundred properties and you're trying to run Google Ads, that can be very expensive, and obviously they work well, and we could go on that if we want to, but you know, you might want to spend, you, you might need to spend thousands of dollars a month to get a lot of traffic with, with Google search ads, for example, if you're a property manager, but like collecting an email is typically free or very low cost and storing it in MailChimp is basically free. You know, sending an email costs you whatever you have to pay MailChimp 20 bucks a month. Once your list is large enough, like the, the cost to do this sort of thing is so low and the, the value of it is so high. Um, even if you're never going to stay in any of those rentals again that you stayed in, um, you may recommend them. I mean, they don't know in your case that you happen to have like a newsletter where you send out interesting things, but you know, <laughs> or you have this podcast, but still, you don't know like what that guest is or why they're necessarily traveling there. So I do think there's like a, a, uh, how often does the guest rebook? I think that's a valid thing when it comes to email. Sure. So for example, uh, one of my largest clients for years was in Hawaii and they had excellent reviews. People love staying with them. They had phenomenal properties, but their rebook rate was very low just because most people don't make a Hawaii trip all the time. It's, you know, it's a challenging place to get to almost in a way. Certainly people who come from the East Coast to go to Hawaii, they're probably going to do it like once in, in their life, most yeah, likely. Yeah. So that's an example of someone who may not see as much of a benefit from it. Or if you're like in an urban city center and people come to your property more for what I call like functional travel, like they're there for, you know, a conference or something, and they're not going to come back again for years, there's maybe less value there. But again, you don't know who they're going to recommend, you know, you to. So, and you don't know the reason why everyone's staying in the property unless you ask and collect that and collate that information, which almost no one does that I've, I've experienced either. So why not have the email to marketing asset? If it turns out they're not engaging with you, you could always unsubscribe them down the road. But, um, you know, it's like you didn't even try. So with email, yeah. so if you try, then you have the opportunity to at least do that like low, low time investment, high leverage thing. So that would be number one. Um, number two, I would say is like making themselves difficult to find. So mm. like no actual brand name associated with the property, nothing that actually differentiate that, differentiate that, differentiate differentiates that property if you're trying to come back and find it again on either a listing site even if you're trying to find the same property again on airbnb sometimes it's challenging or what often occurs is people go off platform like you had isaac on your show i believe um and one thing about isaac that you can just see from afar is that he heavily brands you know his properties live oak lake where it's he's tied it to that specific name so if you go and search it what what does you see you see his website you see his google business profile you see all these things which is 
you know, what we see all the time, we have clients to list on Airbnb without even really trying to get bookings on it, but they just know people are going to find them on there and then go, as Airbnb would say, off-platform, um, what Expedia would call leakage, which I prefer off-platform. Leakage is kind of a rough <laughs> word. But um, anyways, people will find stuff on listing sites all the time and then intentionally go out and look for it elsewhere. So if you don't have any sort of name that they can search for or even some kind of brand or like your host name or something, how are they going to find you? The answer is they're not even going to try. If they try, then you have the opportunity. So um that, that that was what I I would say that's number two, which yeah. is how can people actually find you? What's your actual brand that you're trying to build um, so that people can seek you out? I I love that point too because I think one of the one of the debates that I've hear uh, that I've heard between sort of like professional hosts too, people that are you know taking this seriously and, and want to scale and sort of like build their portfolios and don't just have like a place that they're renting on Airbnb you know in in their basement is is sort of this this notion like do you brand your places like separately right like do you come up with a cool like if you've got a cabin and then you've got a beach house and then you've got like uh, a city home right should those all be named very different things and or is that you know should should your brand sort of like somehow encompass these three these three properties and to your point I, I think you could probably do both you could name the property something individual but it's a you know it's a place by you know Conrad's Airbnb portfolio or Con Conrad's SDR you know homes or whatever it might be and I, I love I love the point you brought up about search because I, I I've done that too <laughs> I've got like literally like gone found something on Airbnb been like okay this person definitely has an Instagram somewhere these are like ridiculous professional shots let's go find them on Instagram and I've DM'd them on Instagram long story short been able to book their place for a lot cheaper than I would have if I had to go through Airbnb so I, I love this idea I, I think that like you know it's it's important to think through sort of like yeah what is the brand that's going to make up your place even if you only have one property if you have any desire to kind of go to that second property or third or fourth or fifth finding some some way to sort of like uh categorize uh these these places at the offset is is crucially important yeah and then and then reinforce that brand so i would say that's the follow-up to that which is that um when you reinforce the brand, what that means to me is that when people stay in the property, there's something on the door that says the name of the, the property. Mm. Um, we started we started designing these one sheeters for some of our clients where it's just the one sheet. It hangs on either the fridge or the door or both, most commonly in a bigger property, and it has like their logo on the top left. It has their contact information, their email address. It has house rules. It has address on it, just basic stuff. But people then see the brand, they see colors, they see something associated with it, and then when they get the email after they depart, because we're collecting emails, of course, back to point one, um, they actually start to associate it, and they're like, oh, I did, yeah, I booked on airbnb but i stayed at you know to the example earlier from isaac live oak lake right yeah. like you kind of build something that people can actually identify towards and one thing that i've seen is that over the long term um people that we've worked with for years we have a client um that we've been working with for like five or six years we have all their, their search console data archived hmm. and we can see that as time has gone on more and more people search for his brand name on google interesting so now yeah. almost four thousand people a month searches brand name on google just his brand name so wow. if people were like every month he almost has uh like let's say he turned off all his ads let's say he disconnected his listings from airbnb and and vr and verbo and was starting from zero and just kept his website live basically roughly four thousand people would just come into his like sphere his ecosystem and look at his cabins just because he's built up this brand that people actually look for and search for on google every single month and i'm not even counting any direct traffic of people that just know the brand name and they go into google and type it in now that is a property manager like a host w wouldn't typically be able to reach that kind of search volume sure. but i mean there's exceptions like go look at like the potato house on airbnb and that gets like thousands of searches a month and some of the tr original tree houses that are very iconic on airbnb they get booked you know significantly or they have a lot of branded search volume as well um but I think that's something to keep in mind, which is that this will compound is what I'm getting at is that over time, yeah, today, like two people are going to search the brand name and you're going to go, oh, this is a waste of time. It's like, yeah, but if you're in this for the long haul, which yeah. I think you should be if you're trying to do this and actually make it kind of this legacy building activity for you, then like four years from now, you're going to have all the guests who stayed with you before who want to come back again. And now you're going to have 50, 100, 200 people every month looking for you. And you're going to see those things kind of change. So like book direct doesn't happen overnight. Anyone that tells you that I think is misleading you and lying. Yeah. Um, the smaller you are, the harder it is to make that climb. I fully understand that, but you have to start somewhere. And I think that's a great starting point. And then I think you have to let it like an investment, you have to let it compound and you have to let it grow over time. And then you're going to be sitting there three years from today and going, oh man, I'm really glad I started to like name my property something and built, you know, something that people could find me, like you said, on Instagram, my own website. And then there's a lot of benefits from it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm curious, as you think about sort of just the marketing channels and, and tactics that, uh, you you advise your clients and or you all are, are helping your clients take advantage of right now so 
can you can you just sort of talk through a little bit of where where are you seeing really good returns? Where are you seeing sort of like interesting, uh, even even if the return, even if the sort of the, the ROI isn't as measurable as you'd love it as you'd love for it to be? Like, where are you advising folks spend their time and energy and marketing budgets from a channel and tactic perspective? I'll put like the channels to the side quickly because cool. we kind of talked about them, right? If you're in the US, Airbnb and Verbo are kind of, I think, where the majority of stuff's going to come in. We have people that are exploring booking.com, but I just don't really see it really moving the needle significantly. It might make sense if you're more of like an urban environment or if you can kind of make your property more hotel like. We have a client that has like, it's like a 12 unit condo building and then he owns all 12 units. That type of inventory can work well in booking, um, but also can work well on Airbnb and Verbo as well. So I'll just get those to the side quickly. OTAs, I wouldn't say that's really our area of expertise. Yep. Other than we talk about it all the time our goal is whole more like almost more like you said to kind of get you less dependent on those by the way i, very, I very, almost never suggest that someone go off airbnb completely so i know we could talk about that more later so on the actual direct marketing side of things i think a lot of our efforts fit neatly into three buckets so search social and email i think there's a surface you know area for a lot of people to grasp onto within each of those different buckets of search social and email so search let's be honest is mostly google i mean yes there are other search engines but google dominates like 90 something percent of all the traffic that we get from search organic or paid comes from google there is two angles there right in the organics uh, you know side of things seo and the paid side of things paid search with google ads um the the tactics and the strategies i would say depend a lot on like budget what you're trying to accomplish and things like that but again i'll go back to my earlier point about something small that someone could do if you have the name of your property established you could just run a google ads campaign for people searching for that name of your property yeah. and make sure that your website at least shows up ahead of airbnb once you have your website all built out so that's like a little thing that even one property host could do um that that could potentially get some good results with paid ads now, once you've got a little bit of traction, you may want to then go back towards, okay, I built my website. Now I could maybe explore further what my SEO opportunity might look like. So that could be creating an article about things to do in the area, or here's the best restaurants I recommend, or here's awesome hiking trails within an hour or 30 minutes of my place. So there's a obviously a long tail of ideas that you could come up with. We have a, a Airtable that uh, my content manager, Kat, has created. There's like 217 blog post ideas that we have. Nice. So maybe we start with that list and then we like, you know, prioritize it a little bit based on search volume. But there's an ocean of like search volume out there for people most likely going to your destination, unless you're just in a tiny destination that people aren't looking for. And all those like blog articles could be kind of, again, little surface areas for your SEO to grab onto and get organic traffic. So that's, I think, harder for the single host to, to tackle. Sure. We've seen some examples where it's worked well. We have a client in the Bahamas who's done well with SEO with two properties, but it's a it's an area with like, there's very low rental density. So there's not a lot of competition, I'll be honest. If you have one rental in Destin, Florida, SEO is not really going to be your channel that's going to make a lot of sense, in my opinion. Yeah. In fact, if you own one rental in Destin, Florida, and you can rank it number one for Destin vacation rentals, sell the vacation rental, forget about that, and get into SEO, because you're going to make <laughs> 10 times more money doing that. <laughs> but um, that's what I always tell people who are like, oh, but I want to try it. I'm like great if you want to try it figure it out and if you can do it i will give you a job and i'll pay you whatever you yeah, want to get paid yeah. if you can rank number one for them because <laughs> there's, there's just not as much leverage there obviously for one property but again if you have one property in destin you could still rank well you could still do well with just a branded a search search strategy people looking for the name of your property or again if you're in a condo building you could bid on the name of that condo building in google ads so that's an example of something that's like would apply whether someone has one two five or we do that for clients that have 500, that, that tactic still works. So there's different ways to kind of play the game in that side. But search, if, if, the benefit of search traffic. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, do, do me a favor, just because I love everything that you're saying, and it's, it's super helpful. But I want to I wanna sort of like frame this a little bit for, for listeners. So I want to give you like yeah. a challenge here. Like, so you've, you've got a client, I know that you're, you're working with a lot of um, uh, property managers, typically f folks that have, you know, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, couple hundred places. Let's say, mm -hmm. like, let's say you have a client that's coming to you. They've got 30 places. Okay. So they, mm -hmm. they don't have 300, but they've got 30. They also don't have three, right? What, and they're interested in sort of uh, running some sort of search campaign. Like, how are you thinking, like, what, what, could you just walk us through sort of like a quick, like rough, these are the, you know, three or four things that I'd recommend that they do uh, from a budget, even from like a budgetary standpoint, like what, like what, what kind of investment do you need to even like, for it to even like be worth it? Not necessarily for your services, but just generally for like, you know, uh, Google, right? Google's cost, right? Can you can you walk us through if someone comes to you, they've got 30 properties, they say, Hey, Conrad, like, I, I want to do a, you know, 12 month year long marketing campaign. Uh, what do you recommend? What kind of money? What kind of budget do I need? And then what kind of channel should I start out with? 
Yeah. So I think I, I would start with search for, first for sure. And I would start with brand. So, yeah. you know, there's your there's your lowest cost, but highest leverage thing. So if the name of your vacation rental company, you know, ZachsAwesomeCabins.com or whatever, great. We're going to bid heavily on Zach's Awesome Cabins. Um, so that's number one, yep. right? Branded search campaign. Then I like to think of keywords. People love to use like long tail, short yeah, tail, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like yeah. head terms, I think. Yeah. That's fine. Like that's technically true. I'm not opposed to those that sort of messaging. But I think it misses the point of like intent sometimes because it, all, all long tail means is that it's like lower on the volume distribution yep. curve but it doesn't it doesn't actually map it all to like intent necessarily so i i like to think of it in that way better so to give an example for some of those 30 properties let's say we'll do our Dustin example let's say they had five uh, units in one particular building well how i think about it is more like concentric circles so your brand name is like the smallest circle because not a lot of people search for it but it's very relevant so mm. you should be able to convert a lot of people to search for your brand then one circle outside of that might be uh, like the name of a building or the name of a really specific like neighborhood or community or something like that. So to someone not searching for Destin, but searching for the name of an exact building in there or the name of uh, the exact uh, beach that you're on or something like that, you know, vacation rental condo near XYZ yeah. or resort XYZ for rent, that sort of thing. So then you maybe go one circle outside of that. It might look something like doing a a type campaign. So someone searching for like an oceanfront house rental in Destin. That's a bit of a more specific search. It's not necessarily looking for your house or where your house actually is, but it's a little bit closer than someone just broadly searching, which might be the last circle of like Destin vacations or Destin vacation rentals or something like that. So that's kind of the the first thing I would focus on. It's like search, paid, that's going to be, you know, you might want to invest. Um, we have clients that invest $1,000 a month and get awesome returns on that of six, seven, eight times their dollars in terms of gross booking value. Yeah. And most of our clients need need at least five to one because they only get a 20% commission. Yeah. So if you yeah. only get a 20% commission, you better be making at least five times what your actual costs are. Otherwise, you're really just breaking even once you pay the owner their fee, which of, of course is typically around 80%. So that would be something where it depends on your budget and like your area, the cost per click, all that kind of stuff. But one to three thousand dollars from a budget standpoint, I think is very reasonable uh, to spend on the on the search side of things. When it comes to SEO, again, that's more of a long-term play. That's like we're putting seeds in the ground that are, you know, if you're at 30 and you're trying to get 300, once you're at 300, you're, you could do well with SEO. Um, and once you kind of have that more budget going in, for now, it's like, what low competition stuff can I do? What like little keywords are not everyone hitting on that I could do? So instead of doing things to do in Destin, I might do things to do in Destin with kids or yeah. pet friendly, you know, things to do in Destin, something like that. That's a bit more low competition that I have a chance to actually rank for in the short term. Yeah. Then as we transfer out of search and we go into, let's say email, for example, I'll be collecting all my email addresses from all my current guests that are staying with me. I'd be heavily marketing to them once they depart, you know, I'd give them a 30 day buffer zone. And then I, I would start marketing to them after that. I'll be collecting new email addresses from people who inquire on my website and get in marketing to them ongoing on like a newsletter or just some kind of automated campaign drip campaign. And I would just keep emailing people, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's up to them to kind of opt out. Right. But, um, email, I would, I would keep be, that's kind of an ongoing channel. That's going to keep feeding me as the list grows. My time to do the email doesn't go up at all, but my leverage, my ability to get more bookings goes up over time again as well. So kind of to our earlier commentary about like over time, you're going to be really glad you started collecting emails two years ago when you have a list of 5,000 people, you know, from your 30 properties three years from now or something like that. Yeah. Um, then going back to social, I think there's an area in social for a lot of people to execute well, but it is hard to execute in social and get attention if you're doing the same things everybody else. So I think the people that do the best on social are the, the ones who really understand the platform. So like Instagram, for example, you, you mentioned there's people on the show that have gotten to 50, 60,000 followers. When I scroll through their feeds of people who have that kind of success on Instagram, it's usually because they're, they have some kind of entertaining angle to their, um, you know, to their feed. It's not just like, here's pictures of my property over and over again. <laughs> that, that gets boring kind of quickly. So you have to do something, you know, that's more, a bit more creative. You have to promote the area and kind of realize that you're almost like a, what I call a mini DMO, like a mini destination marketing organization. Mm. You're not like promoting Destin, but you have to promote like your little slice of Destin, mm. your little slice of wherever you happen to be. So what are the restaurants you like? Um, what could you create video content about that? Where's the hiking trails that are nearby? What, where can I catch fish? Like, what are the golf courses? Like, there's a million things that you could do content about. And I think it's about making your, like, format native to the platform, which is difficult to do. I think that's the hardest path for someone to run um, on, trying to go through social, unless you just have something that's, like, jaw-dropping, really beautiful, and catches your eye, which some people, I think, can do with their properties. But if you don't have that, I think you have to be, again, a mini DML on yeah. social. What do you, so, what, just speaking yeah. of social real fast, too, before we move on to, yeah. like, 
What do you think about influencers? Like that, that seems to be a tactic that some of the more serious folks who, again, have spent a lot of time and money investing in building and designing you know, full-fledged cool cabin kind of unique experiences. And it seems like one of the playbooks that a lot of people subscribe to is, hey, let's get like five to 10 influencers here and um, do some sort of giveaway campaign, right? And that's how we're going to grow our audience. Like what do you... I guess, what, what do you think about that generally? And then uh, have you had any clients that have done influencer campaigns? And if so, like how have they performed? I think it can work, but there's a ton of vetting that you have to do. I think this idea that like more follower equal good, less follower equal bad logic is sometimes what I see creeping into these sorts of discussions. And yeah. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Yeah. I think again, going back to like my intent conversation from earlier, who follows the influencer? And I'll give you a great example. Our client in the Bahamas did the influencer campaign with, I'll just say a model on Instagram. Um, she was beautiful. She has unbelievable amounts of followers and they follow her solely because of the way that she looks, right? Her ability to influence someone to get on a private plane and fly to the Bahamas was zero, as we learned, you know, later on once the campaign was over. So I think that you have to realize why is this person influential and what are they influential about? Mm. So once you get that settled, like for example, let's say you had an influencer that you welcomed into a property. We had a client that did this um, and their influence was that they are experts in going to Disney in, in Orlando. And their sort of the focus of their channel was talking about the different parks and the entertainment that goes on there and things like that. You invite that influencer who might only have 50,000 followers to stay in your, um, how do I say this without getting trademark, you know, issues, but your Star Wars themed, you know, vacation <laughs> rental. I won't say who it is, but I won't get him in trouble. But your Star Wars themed vacation rental property, and you get that person to stay in there, and they do a whole video tour of the property, they show their family in it, they put that up on YouTube, it gets 200,000 views organically, that type of influencer campaign can be unbelievably impactful, because of the, it's essentially like you're getting as much reach as like a cable TV ad, yeah. but for people who are actively going to Disney, right? Yeah, that's yeah. But those are two extremes of kind of that coin. But I think the trouble with influencer stuff is you have to do a lot of vetting and a lot of like careful, thoughtful ways of doing it. So we have managed a few campaigns here and there. But once I tell clients what's involved in like managing it properly, in my opinion, they tend to kind of shut down because they just thought, oh, I was just going to like give away random stays, random people who DM me on Instagram. That I think is a tough strategy. Again, if you're more native to social and you understand how it works, I think you could look at a profile in about 20 seconds, figure out if that person is actually you know, appropriate for like your target market. Um, and I, there's a path there where it can absolutely work. But um, I would say like, you know, be cautious about what you're buying, I guess is my major sentiment on influencer. It can work, but you have to know what it is that you're promoting and who's promoting your product. And if their followers actually care about the product or if they care more about, again, in some cases, like the aesthetics of the person yeah. or the fact that, you know, they're like a country music star and that's why they're getting followers, not necessarily because they're, um, you know, they're influential about people traveling <laughs> in Florida or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's super super interesting, and yeah, and I feel like everyone everyone thinks in some capacity today that they are a well, not everyone. There are a, there are a lot of people that think they are travel influencers, um, and yeah, I think that that's that's totally worth being being cautious of. But again, like then I've I've heard I had somebody on the podcast. Uh, she has a, a super cool. She's got a few properties actually out in Hawking Hills, um, in southeastern Ohio, and and she talked a lot about how bringing you know levi kelly to her property and right and he was like i think their first guest and his he made a one of his cabin tour sort of like tiny house videos for for their first cabin and she said like that like fueled their bookings for like the first year and it was like insane right and so you know yeah. you it, it can happen but again that i think yeah, levi kelly is a good example of like a super niche you know influencer where like hey he's literally doing tour video tours of cabins that are listed on airbnb right um yeah. Right. Anyways. Right. Yeah. It's like, again, it goes back to my point. Why is some? Why is that person influential? Why yeah. are they following them? For what reason? I think that's a flawless example of someone that would be an ideal person to like. I would love that they featured my property. You know, just like. Um, you know, the type of people who watch certain shows, like going back to the traditional world of like TV advertising, there's a reason that certain advertisers target people who watch certain shows because they know what's influential and what's going to actually convert well. Like, you know, if you've got not, not even a political statement, but if you've got like Fox News on, like the type of ads that you'll see on that channel are really, there's no overlap between like put on like MSNBC, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even though yeah. the, the audience, the age, the demographics of those person might be the same, it would be someone who's 55 years old who lives in Virginia, yeah. who is, uh, you know, male or something like that. 
like that. But the, the, how those people behave is vastly different. So yeah. I think you should think the same way if you're thinking about an influencer. Why, why does this person have attention? And in that case, I think that's a good example of like finding the right person can absolutely yield some pretty interesting rewards from it. Yeah, yeah. Just one last note on this because I thought that this was super interesting and maybe this is like a, a word of advice for, for our listeners. So I've heard this from two people now. I, I obviously I don't have any sort of relationship with with Levi, so I can't confirm this or anything. But from, I've heard from two different people who have really beautiful like collections of of short term rentals, and they've partnered with Levi. I've heard that he doesn't ask for the place for free. That he he actually like books the place. Uh, say, and maybe there's a discount or something uh, on occasion, but he's he's paying and and he's not asking the the host to pay him anything for the video. He's just built up. He's amassed such a following on YouTube that the YouTube ad revenue that he generates from these from these videos is apparently sufficient. So again, I, I don't know if that's actually true, but I've heard this from two different people now who said they, they didn't pay Levi Kelly anything. In fact, he paid to come and stay at their place and shoot the video. So find an influencer who's what a swell guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like what an upstanding citizen. Again, I, I, I really hope it's true. Cause that's like a pretty like badass like I, I bet, uh, legacy. I bet he's the guy. I- I bet he's the kind of guy that leaves the property unbelievably clean as well. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, he's it's the kind of like guy perfect. right? like the cleaner walks in and they're like, wait, was this place booked? Like, yeah. uh, when we said in Charlotte, the only message we got from the host was um, was like, uh, hey, you left the place really clean. I appreciate it. And I'm like, yeah, that's like common sense. Like, I wouldn't do anything other than that. Yeah. I, oh, I don't know. My kid's up there. It was a mess, believe me. But, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to leave the place a mess. I think that's the least <laughs> I can do. It's like a, a steward of the industry. I'm like, let me like pass it forward a little bit, you know? Yeah, 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 dude, same. Um, uh, a couple of final questions for you, man, before, before I let go. This has been, this has been super awesome you I, I love this stuff and you know i i um i'm a marketer by day i am a growth marketer uh for an education marketing agency so like i i love this stuff um and you're you're saying all the right things so folks need to listen to conrad if you he he, he, he knows what he's talking about with respect to, to marketing um but i i wanted to i wanted to give you the opportunity to share anything like about stupid mistakes that you've seen hosts make uh, and or property managers make w- with respect to the marketing of their portfolios. So I need you to sort of like, like, please like stop doing this or like, please don't do that. Um, and then, and then maybe set, like, you know, if, if something comes to mind of a, a really brilliant kind of like execution that you've seen a, a, one of your clients perform and or an idea that you've helped them sort of execute, that's just gone really, really well. That might've been a little bit like outside of what was expected or the norm. Um, let, let, let's let's do that uh, anything that comes to mind that was like please stop doing this this is not going to work and any, anything that comes to mind that like this was brilliant like more people should be doing that i think the the mistakes that i see are people who invest in a property and they're too reactionary to the short term and I, I think i see this all the time on like facebook groups i actually try to avoid the facebook groups nowadays from like hosts out there because i just think some of them are kind of jaded by the business at this point and maybe some of them shouldn't be hosts between you and me and the people listening <laughs> but um if like if you hate your guests then you shouldn't be in this business i guess i'll just say it that way um so that's maybe like the broader mistake which is like not understanding the fundamental nature of like hospitality or like providing for someone who's in many cases paid a lot of money and it may be their only vacation they take that year and that not treating that person with like the level of respect or severity like even if the issue they bring up is minor like treating it seriously so i would say that's something i see frequently enough but on the marketing side of things it's not really knowing that their property doesn't have anything unique like Mm -hmm. i I did a a twitter post the other day a thread that did okay and got some people to reach um who, who saw it and it was talking about what makes a property actually unique which means like unique is like it has a specific use case it doesn't have alternatives there's not another property like it out there uh the property has something notable about it maybe that that could be something like design that could be something like size location accessibility um that could be the the aesthetics of it again you know that sort of stuff um but if you have the same one two bedroom condo as everybody else that's fine like i'm not opposed to people owning <laughs> short-term rentals that are more kind of commonplace but um that's going to be your hardest path to walk as far as marketing because what can you do to make that property stand out yeah so yeah. i think the hosts that i see that struggle the most with like trying to figure out some direct marketing strategies is they just have a complete disconnect between like how the market sees their property and how they see their property they see their property as like it's great like it has these characteristics and then i go true but like 19 yeah. other properties in that building have that characteristic yeah, those or, are the table stakes yeah 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 25 other properties have board games in them like i'm glad yours does too but like it doesn't make a significant difference so that's one or they or i would say they they um like going back to some our some of our earlier commentary about like seo for example is like they try to rank for stuff that's impossible or they buy a domain name like awesome condo in destinflorida.com like something like that that just has no association with it whatsoever and they're like trying to figure out how to get that to work so those are things i see that i wish would kind of stop and um you know i guess like candidly the thing that i see that really does bother me is people who um who 
you know, have something small happen to their property and it's like emotional damage occurs to them, mm. not the physical damage that happens to the property. And they sort of like aren't really made for this sort of thing. And I think whenever you see like the anti Airbnb sentiment on social media, and this happened a few weeks ago, I don't know when this is going to be posted, but um, it went you know, pretty far out there about like the cleaning fees and people, you know, saying, oh, I'll never go to Airbnb again. The hotels are better and things like that. I think what they're saying is that they value the sort of stability of a hotel where yeah, like, you yeah. know what the fees are, you know what you're going to get charged. And like, you also know that like, if you spill like wine on the carpet of your hotel room, like no one's going to come up there and like scream at you or something. Yeah. Gonna yeah. Be like, okay. Let's fix it. Or we'll move you to another room. Like they have a lot of good hotels have that, um, uh, as Doug Kennedy would say, a heart of hospitality. Like they actually want to take care of you and they assume that like you're there in good faith. I think there are some people out there who don't really think that their guests are there in good faith. Like they're suspicious of them with like the cameras and things like that. And they're yeah. constantly watching them. And it's a, there's a need for all these things in certain doses, but I think people take it too far and that it just becomes like an FBI surveillance type situation. Not like a, I'm having a good experience staying in this property that, you know, I'm enjoying and things like that. So it's kind of like, if you treat your guests, like you don't really like them, then they're not really going to like you. And how is that ever going to be a viable path <laughs> to, yeah. to be successful? Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. I, I'm seeing more and more of like in, in reviews, like people are, in Airbnb reviews specifically, folks are folks are noting when when the host or or hostess not 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 was like inappropriate, but was was annoying. Quite frankly, like I'm seeing I'm seeing more of this happen. It was like, hey, I'll still give you, I'll still the the place overall, like sure, four or five stars, whatever. But like they're noting in the review, like didn't appreciate, you know, the three messages I got when all of a sudden the heat sensor or whatever, you know, they got pinged and maybe there were more bodies than was booked. It was because they had their groceries delivered or something like, you know, who who knows how much of this is actually true and whatnot. But just you are seeing more and more of these people being like, holy crap, like, are you are you really like monitoring my my entire stay? Like, get off my back, right? Like, I, you know, I spent a thousand bucks on this place for the weekend, right? Like, that's a lot of money for me, you know what? So yeah, to, to your point, too, it's like, if, 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 if that's you, you should probably find another way to make money. Because <laughs> this is probably not the industry for you. <laughs> It's like I said, I think what what happens so for in the traditional world, right, of like where this all came from, the reason that vacation homes exist was purely for personal use. Like if you go back and think about it, and I have a client, by the way, who's been doing this stuff since the late 80s. I love to talk to him because like he'll always be like, Connor, I've been doing this shit longer than you've been alive. He just always <laughs> loves saying stuff like that to me. So it'll give me all these like different perspectives and, you know, different ways of thinking about where we are today versus where we started. And he's like, the only goal in someone letting me manage their property back then um, was that, hey, could you just cover some of the expenses? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I, you know, I'm paying this fee. Like, I, I don't want to make money. It's fine. I, could you just cover like part of the expenses and then my family gets to use it? And I think inherent in that was this idea that like one day that person is going to retire and they're going to move down to the beach and that's going to be their house. So I get where the emotional comes from. I really do. Um, but I think in this business, you have to be very careful not to associate the property, even if it's your property, as like your, you know, like it's your investment too, right? But you can't associate it as like, oh, someone dropped the, you know, dropped and shipped the floor and like they're the worst person ever and I'm going <laughs> to, you know, go after them and things like that. I guess like it falls under like the stuff happens things for me. So yeah. I'd rather, my general point of view is like assume guests are like good hearted and staying for the right reasons and things like that. And like they're there to have a good time too. Like, so if you kind of damper on their parade, like, yeah again or get or get like you know or get really like like turn instant book off and like actually vet these people like see how many reviews they've had and maybe you just have a policy hey if no one has a review or if they've got less than three reviews like because i am so worried about these things like they're not going to stay here like uh, you know adopt some sort of policy like you know like that i will say too just uh, on the other side that one of the best experiences i've ever had was i had my family and i have a big family um like my parents my siblings and whatnot we all went to this house in uh, the outer banks for thanksgiving last year and it was like a beautiful beautiful house and um my brother brought his dog and you know we had got the 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 um uh, host had like said everything like that was okay. Well, it was a puppy and the puppy was like crazy, like way crazier than like my brother had led on to believe classic. Um, and so if you show up, the dog's there, you know, then, you know, the, at one point the dog like jumps on the couch and then like my mom's wine gets knocked over and it spills. They have like this beautiful white couch. Right. And then, you know, my, my cousin like, you know, punched a hole in the screen. I mean, like literally like I have this reputation of like having lived on Airbnb full time. I've got amazing reviews. Like I, I take this stuff really freaking seriously. And the one time I, <laughs> And with my family, it's just such a shit show, right? Well, I, I did everything that I could to kind of like, you know, fix things up and whatnot. The the host, to her credit, was just unbelievable. She said, hey, 
this is why we've got a cleaning fee. No worries. This is great. Like, you know, uh, I really just want you to have a whole time, uh, a really great, great time. Like, don't worry about this. We'll take care of it when it's done. I never got an extra bill, never got anything else. I've now stayed at two other properties of hers and she's let me stay there again thank god um and but but it's just like such an interesting like incredible example and i've referred her place to so many different people who are always looking to go to the outer banks simply because of the way that she treated us like the hospitality that she had so anyways there are there are great examples of hosts who are on maybe the other end of the the spectrum you know the other side of the extreme where they probably like do too much to like be like hey don't worry about it like just have a good time i'll take care of it yeah. Yeah. Shout out to those people. I, I, unfortunately, they probably get taken advantage of every once in a while. But yeah. how many yeah. how many awesome like experiences do people have where they're like where they have this awesome thing, by the way, real quick on the on the dog piece. Um, for a while, I was BCC'd on contact forms for many of my clients. And I would just go through sometimes and look at the contact forms and see them. And I would analyze the text just yeah. to kind of see what was going through and see. I was trying to figure out like content ideas or what questions people are asking and things like that. And I started noticing this phrase over and over again, which is that they would say, hey, I'm coming with a dog. And then the following thing would always follow it like 90% of the time. But the dog is well behaved. And then I learned that everyone traveling with a dog on, on short term rentals, Airbnb, whatever, has a well behaved dog. No one has ever had a, a poorly behaved dog on Airbnb. It's unbelievable. So, oh, I, dude, I love that. I love that. And, and, and then, of course, my brother's like, you don't understand. Like, she doesn't act like this at, like, my apartment. And I was like, yeah, well, have you seen your yeah. apartment? It's a shit show, and you don't have a single nice thing, you know? Like, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun stuff. Dogs, well, dude, every uh, dog's well behaved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This has been great. I, I really appreciate you taking time to chat. Um, if, if folks want to learn more and or um, get in touch with you, what's what's the best way for them to, to reach out and to learn more about your services yeah they go to buildupbookings.com that's one way um email's good as well conrad c-o-n-r-a-d at buildupbookings.com trying to grow the twitter machine again i kind of was like on there more for personal stuff but i'm trying to post stuff over there so if you're into that follow me at conrad o'connell awesome man and we'll throw all those links in the show notes as well so if you're listening to this and you want to learn more from conrad go ahead and scroll down to the show notes follow him on twitter uh, send him an email visit their website etc but appreciate your time man this has been great appreciate it had a good time thank you so much Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.